Welcome to the 100th episode of Old School Guns. Yep, we are at 100. A lot of times, you know, uh, podcasters will have some kind of special thing for, you know, the 100, 500, or, or whatever. I don't do that. If I do, it'll be for the 101st episode, because actually, uh, I served in the 101st Airborne Division, so that would be my special one. But I probably won't do anything out of the ordinary, other than just uh, maybe make note of that fact. But anyway, I uh, just wanted to tell you, as you know, this podcast is in three parts where we talk about gun-relevant news, we talk about gun culture things, and then we talk about my favorite part, which is questions and answers, which are the, you know, really the, the most enjoyable part to me. So you get my take on whatever kind of questions uh, you want to submit. If you want to submit a question, you can always put it on our Podbean comments section, and I will get it for the next podcast. Or you can email it to me at kbmakel at aol.com. kbmakel at aol.com. And yes, it's an old AOL address, but hey, it still works, man. So no real reason to change. So there's some very interesting things that have come up this week. If you listen to the last podcast, you know that um, essentially, um, as I was recording it, that's when the results of this Chauvin trial in Minneapolis came to. And rather than talk about that and talk about basically extorting a verdict from the jury and all the people who weighed in while the jury was deliberating, all basically, you know, in violation of a lot of our jurisprudence procedures and and uh, types of things and and may have even given a case for an appeal but beyond all that you know what's the one lesson you learn if you choose and say what's the one thing you learn out of all this and the one thing that we've learned that we can all use is hey you know even if you're in a defensive shooting situation whatever situation when you're out of your house there could potentially be cameras on you. So you need to be careful about how you act and what you say. And especially in this guy Chauvin's case, kind of the demeanor, you know, and he was just sort of, you know, kind of on this guy's neck. And uh, even though he thought he was doing the right thing, I guess, um, you know, that nonchalant kind of cavalier attitude sort of sort of shown through. And guess what? Um, it's a very, very bad thing because juries are all ruled by emotion. And we, we live in a country today that has been built, our society for probably 2,000 years has been built on, you know, science, logic, doing the right thing, analysis, making a considered decision to where now at least half the country um, just rules on pure emotion absolute pure emotion oh this is wrong you know this is and and they start whining about it and and uh, you know wanting to change the the use of pronouns and all kinds of other strange things that defy logic that defy a lot of what we're uh, uh, what we're trying to do and and basically demonizing people all this kind of stuff that that goes on it's all basically emotion based and you know they get that from television they get that from the the media and you know we see it everywhere and one place we see it and this is only obliquely gun related is 
you know, in, in a lot of times what the Congress is doing and who's testifying in front of Congress, you know, whether the, it's these House or Senate committees. And I was actually astounded that, uh, I guess a week ago, maybe even a little longer, this Greta Thunberg was in front of the U.S. Congress again, you know, saying things, uh, and, and, you know, it, it's all the trash. You know, they don't ask her any questions. She goes up there and gives a speech, and I'll tell you why that is in a, in a minute. Where, you know, she calls, basically says, if you support fossil fuel, you're disgusting, and all this other kind of stuff. Um, and, and it's just outrageous over-the-top stuff she says, and the reason she says it is there's there's a couple contributing factors number one just to talk about her as a person uh, you're talking about a person who just turned 18 years old a teenager who doesn't have the education or experience to understand global energy policy the science behind the energy we have what the what really the future kind of requirements are where she doesn't understand any of that she's not educated enough she doesn't have enough experience um she's been programmed viciously and cruelly by i assume her parents turning her into a a uh, um absolute brainwashed spokesperson and we'll get into that a little bit but you know getting down to the real crux of it she is a person with asperger's syndrome Although she's, quote, high-functioning. Now, high-functioning in the old days used to mean mildly retarded, okay? A person may be high-functioning, but that doesn't mean they're optimally functioning or they're functional, functioning at the what we would consider the normal level that, that people who aren't encumbered by that kind of a condition have. The next thing is she's got obsessive-compulsive syndrome, and that manifests itself in a bunch of ways. And the third thing is she has selective mutism, which means she just turns off. You know, she she turns off. Um, you know, you put all those things together and you have a teenager with some severe problems who is somehow being lifted up as this expert and, and spokesperson for global energy. And, and it's ridiculous. You would never... You would never say, well, Greta Thunberg is high functioning, so therefore I'm going to take all my personal wealth, every dime I've ever worked for, I'm going to put it into a trust and allow her to manage it. You know, you would never turn over all of your, all of your wealth, all of your whatever you have. And you may not have much, or you may be like, uh, you know, a lot of people who have a lot, but you would never turn it over to Greta Thunberg to manage it for you. Um, you know, the only person who knows less about energy than Greta Thunberg is Hunter Biden because he can't tell the difference between Parmesan cheese and crack cocaine. I, I can assume, my assumption would be that she can, that she probably can tell that difference. But she wouldn't know anything about finance any more than she knows about energy. She has an education level which is, as near as I can determine, less than a U.S. high school education. Um, they have grade one through nine and it's, it's a little bit different. You know, the school systems are different. So even if you give her the benefit of the doubt, you're saying this person at the most has a high school, a basic high school education. It's, it's ridiculous. 
You can't trust somebody like that. That's, and I'm not saying she's a bad person. I don't think she's an evil person. As a matter of fact, I think she's a victim. I think she has been viciously and cruelly manipulated psychologically and emotionally abused to turn her into this spokesperson um, basically somebody who and and you can the, these are these are not nice things to say but she doesn't fire on all cylinders she doesn't play with a full deck she's not the sharpest knife in the drawer whatever whatever that you want to apply um, she doesn't it's clear she doesn't have a complete understanding of what she talk is talking about and she's been programmed like a little robot you know just like the little iBot that cruises around your living room and vacuums things you know it's kind of a little circular thing looks like kind of like a little UFO or something um, I've never actually seen one work I've seen them in stores and I just it wouldn't work in my house but you know she's she's programmed like this little this little uh, vacuum cleaner to go around and do certain things and say certain things and say things that are over the top because frankly we know that given her mental limitations and her other conditions she doesn't have a filter you know that's one of the things that a lot of people don't have who have these kinds of things wrong with them is the, the filter is gone so that's why she tells them it's disgusting and what she can't understand is we're not stealing her future from her in fact everything she's got today is because of what's been built previous to her and she's been cruelly viciously abused if there were CPS in Sweden um, they should be called and she should have been placed in a home I guess now she's a, a home that would care for her and protect her these kind of people need to be protected um, and I have a, a long history of just you know in school seeing the kids who were high functioning but they were mildly retarded and how they got picked on because they put them in with regular kids um, that's cruel it's vicious it's cruel and to use another human being like that especially one that cannot fully judge and think and make decisions for themselves to to do that to another human being is really horrid and that's why I think the parent and it's got to be her parents I don't know this for sure I'm just assuming it's her parents they are some they are some rather ruthless characters I mean just to get a little bit of fame and notoriety you have to be a pretty ruthless character to do that to your child so I just I just sit there and I see this person who really has no business in front of the US Congress and you know has no real business insulting world leaders and doing some of the stuff that that this child has been encouraged to do and allowed to get away with you know the the truth is and these are these are old terms the truth is she is a teenage Swedish mental retard that's what she is I mean that's it and they can say she's a high-functioning Asperger syndrome blah 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 in the old days she was a teenaged Swedish mental retard and has no business having a greater voice in the US government than you I or anyone we know 
anyone we know. She's had a greater voice in our government than anyone we know. She's, and I just told you, in old school terms, exactly what this poor girl is. And she needs to be protected. And, and you know what the worst part? Another, well, maybe not the worst part, but another horrible part of this is when she is no longer useful to the liberal elites who are obviously sticking her in front of Congress and, and she talks to the UN. And I mean, all this, all this nonsense. It's boulder dash. It's nonsense. But when she's no longer useful for that, they're going to cast her aside and... When her 15 minutes of fame are over and she's cast aside, she won't understand why that is. She she kind of won't get it. This is this is cruel. This is I hate to say brainwashing, Manchurian candidate, just evil stuff that's going on with this kid. This this is like the abuse that some child stars have to put up with. And and kind of you know, where they would, yeah, you know, work them 16 hours a day, then beat them for another two or three, and then put them to bed, you know, that kind of thing. Or you look at, uh, I mean, poor, poor people, like, um, what was it, Patty Duke, the actress, and the way she was just worked um, as a child. This is, this, and brainwashing, and all this other kind of stuff. This is cultish behavior. This is, you know, this is the kind of stuff when people would get their family members back from a cult, they would have to put them through deprogramming where it's like, hey, kind of get this person's person back to normal. Get these people back to normal a little bit. And there was a whole regiment. I, I don't know that any of that still happens because people have basically wised up to cults. But she has been treated like a person inducted in a cult. And it is very cruel. And, you know, why is this important? Well, this is all part of a, a, a part of an agenda. And as soon as they can figure out how to do it, environmentalism will be used as a way to control firearms. You already see it. Everybody's everybody jumps up and down on at ranges about lead abatement, when in fact it's known that it's not a problem whatsoever. You can't use lead ammunition in California now for hunting and for decades and decades now, probably well, maybe even 50 years now, have to use steel shot to shoot waterfowl. And it was all based on specious studies and other things. And, you know, be that as it may, um, you know, they will use this environmental energy cloak as a way to restrict your freedoms even farther and they will bring up i don't know how many other teenage swedish mental retards they can find to put in front of congress but i would imagine there's no shortage and they'll be able to find others and they can find them on other things well i mean um essentially we have a middle-aged well she's not swedish i don't know what kamala harris is but you know we have a middle-aged mental retard in charge of the border and i'm sure they can find a younger mental retard to back her up in front of congress i mean it's ridiculous it is absolutely ludicrous and the worst part is again it's not so much that i politically differ or disagree with any of this i see a child i mean this is a 
this is a girl who you you kind of look at her and they they don't portray it but she's only like four foot eleven she's a tiny tiny person who they've they've done this to and they've exploited in in this heinous manner um this this kind of behavior ranks up there with sex trafficking in my opinion that's how brutal and cruel it is to this child and she was a child when she started all this she may be 18 now but she was a child and and guess what i guarantee that in two years you don't hear anything from her you don't hear anything because nobody will be interested anymore she's already insulted a bunch of the world leaders she's you know already insulted the people the people of the united states who believe that we should be energy independent and that we know we have to use fossil fuels and we're not like her you know if i have to travel somewhere i don't have friends with yachts who will just let me hop on and give me a ride that's how she gets to and from america she gets these you know free rides on on ships going back and forth for and it just it isn't worth listening to a teenaged Swedish mental retard lecturing us and insulting us about how our how our uh, industrial society is fueled I mean it, it just you you couldn't really write this it's so ridiculous so that's my that's my thoughts on Thunberg and it comes back as, as I alluded just a few minutes ago all gun control is focused to basically restrict your rights i mean that's it and it's going and it's it's even worse it's not about guns it's about control if you think for a minute that red flag laws which is where a lot of this gun control now is leaning it's the red flag laws are like a big magnet and it's drawing this this thing um the big victory really isn't making guns or ammunition illegal it's making it so that anybody can report you and you can be picked up i mean this this is the scariest big brother thing there is and i mean the only way out of it if you want to avoid it at least temporarily is just not on guns i i had a friend a service member going through a bitter vicious contentious divorce he owned one pistol he owned one pistol and you know that was used against him in court he had never brandished it it stayed locked he's not a gun guy it stayed locked locked up uh with a trigger lock on it and locked in a kind of a foot locker type of deal um it was but the fact that his ex-spouse reported well you know he's got a gun and he's you know trained killer and no 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 he wound up selling the gun just so he it, so he could go into court and say uh, I don't have it anymore. I don't have anything like that anymore. And he, he got rid of his, you know, he had a couple of knives. You know, you, you always have the hunting knife, you know, or the, the K-bar type knife, you know, that field utility knife. Not necessarily, you know, the Fairburn Sykes dagger, but he got rid of all that. He got rid of all that stuff within within a couple of days. He, he went to his friends and said, here you go. He went to one of his friends and said, here. He sold his, he sold his, uh, I think it was a Glock. I think he sold it for a hundred dollars, you know, and it's not because he needed the money. It's because he needed to get those items out of his possession because they were being used against him in court. And this guy's no history of violence, no history of anything. 
it was that he wanted a divorce and there was a disagreement over custody. That's all that was. But think about anybody who doesn't like you can red flag you and there you go. All of a sudden, because you own knives, because you own guns, and I mean, face it, we all own knives. I mean, we all have, I walk out in my kitchen and frankly, you know, I've got a couple of field knives I use and things. Frankly, I just use small folding knives. I think I have one K-bar left over from military days or whatever. A few bayonets in my collection, but nothing nothing nearly as good as the chef's knives <laughs> that are in our woodblock thing in the kitchen. I mean, they're bigger, they're sharper, <laughs> they're probably made out of better steel, too. So... Uh, you know, it's it's a very, very interesting situation. And all and, and they're going to red flag all that. Pretty soon, you own a baseball bat. Hey, you're going to get red flagged. You know, um, it's, it is going in a very, very disturbing direction. And remember, it's not about the stuff. It's about the control. It's all about control. Well, in the kind of the vein of nobody can do anything right there is and and this is the kind of this is this is chicken shit this is chicken shit nonsense there's a 2012 or 2013 um, film of Wayne LaPierre elephant hunting with his wife and anybody who's ever shot big game knows that it's it's not like shooting upland birds uh, sometimes it, sometimes it takes more than one shot that's sometimes that that way with deer you know I know guys who shoot deer and a deer is not a very big animal really I mean weight wise they 200 pounds maybe they shoot it with a seven millimeter magnum and the thing runs away wounded you know I mean shot placement is not only a shot placement key but you know these animals are really tough just like people are tough sometimes uh, police will tell you stories all the time about somebody who's soaked up five or six shots an elephant is obviously the same way and they they hunted an elephant uh, the elephant was legally taken they had all the they had all the right stuff you know all the right licenses and everything but this is going to create a super problem this is going to create a real public relations problem for them for people who are already under the gun um but it's chicken shit it's eight years ago you know eight getting close to nine years ago um just like when they went after i forget it was a black comedian who uh he had said some homophobic things like in 2007 2008 he basically apologized for them a decade ago over a decade ago and they still pull these things up and use it against them. I mean, I don't know exactly who that is. Um, I don't really follow follow it all that much, but um, you know, that's the that's what happens. That's what happens. All this stuff, as I as I said earlier, you don't know when the cameras or the film or the you know the video the little video things are rolling and everybody can take these things on their cell phone everybody's got their cell phone with them all the time i mean i was anti-cell phone for years i mean it just never to me it was just okay a telephone telephone you carry with you like a walkie-talkie then all of a sudden they started getting super smart and 
hey man, you had a camera, you have this, you can record audio. I mean, it's become a little pocket computer that you carry with you. It's way more cool than any Star Trek communicator that they had on their show. I mean, it's much more powerful and it can do a whole lot more. You can take a video, send it out to the world, you know, post it, social media. You know, it's, it's out there. So anytime this stuff exists, uh, it can come back to haunt you and it's going to come back and haunt Wayne LaPierre. Wayne LaPierre is the guy who's going to, whether you like him or not, whether you have anything against him or not, LaPierre is going to get, there's going to be a backlash over this. And I think it might be enough to topple him. People are just going to say, hey, dude, you know, you're just kind of not worth it. You know, this is, this is the last thing, even though the board of the NRA is supposed to be, it, the NRA is predominantly, in many ways, still a FUD organization. And, um, you know, FUDs are going to run this. And, and you know, people who are used to hunting aren't going to see a real problem with this. But um, at a certain point, the public perception is going to be a real problem, a real problem. So now that we've talked about the uh, <laughs> the elephant, who, who shot the elephant or what's the elephant in the room, um, I do owe kind of an update on, you know, I have some access to some land. I've been going there fairly routinely and I've been reporting on, you know, the kind of kind of guns I like to use out there and the reason the reason I like to use them. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of the tactical rifles and pistols. How do they how do they kind of work in this? you know, rural, you know, wildernessy environment. And I have to say one of the, for pistols, uh, my favorite is still the 45 auto rim. I, I carry the, uh, it, again, it's not an expensive gun. It's, it was a Smith and Wesson model 1917 sold to the Brazilian Navy, reimported back in the nineties. And it was in the out the exterior was in horrific shape it was it had some pitting and it didn't it had maybe 10 percent original finish and you know a few little scrapes and gouges and things uh, i got it i got it bee blasted and and kind of dip blued so it it looks acceptable and you know but it shoots really well and the 45 auto rim is a great cartridge um i've been using some 255 grain actually 45 Colt bullets, which you can safely load in the, uh, you can safely load those in the auto rim. And actually they perform brilliantly. I mean, they perform very, very well. You know, for, they, you don't have much recoil. They hit hard. They're accurate. I mean, I, I've got, I'm extremely pleased with it. Extremely pleased. Another gun, and it's a gun I don't really like very much in, except in this context, Another gun which has distinguished itself is the lowly Walther P-22. I bought a P-22 back oh, about 20 years ago at least. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was an okay gun. I bought it because of its lightweight. And I was actually in a similar situation. I had, I had a little bit of acreage. And, and walking around, you know, you don't always want to look like, you know, you're coming down the street at Dodge City with a big strapped-on gun. Um... I kind of liked it because it was small and it was, you know, you could have it on your belt and it was surreptitious. It didn't didn't really stand out very much. And a 22 is a great gun to have. So I got it for that. Never really used it that much. But I've been using it 
lately on this and it is actually uh you know it, hey it's it's not a match gun it's not going to ever have great accuracy but for the kind of stuff you run into um at fairly fairly close range you know certainly 15 yards and under uh, it's effective it's a good gun and it carries nine shots you know people most people say well what about a ruger wrangler or single six and you know i like those guns but a they're heavier you got six shots and they're they take a long time to load now they'd be fine they'd be fine um i actually gave my single six to my stepson because i just didn't really dig shooting it i like semi-automatics better so it's a good gun and it and it works out really really well the p22 has redeemed itself uh, actually i don't have the original p22 um oh how did this go i bought it I was deployed overseas to a combat zone, the Iraq War, and the California DOJ called up saying, hey, you know, you bought one of these things. I wasn't home. My wife took the call. And unfortunately, it had, had a threaded barrel that had this little sleeve over it. You couldn't get it off or anything, but it was there. And they said, hey, this was sold in contravention to California state law. You need to send it here to get it modified. And my wife goes, well, my husband is in a combat zone in Iraq. Can he do it when he comes back? Oh, no. The California shitheads uh, wouldn't allow that. So she was able to go down. And, and here I am on the phone from Iraq. And this was just before Skype. So it's this is all this is all just, uh, you know, single single channel verbal. And frankly, I got her to read, and she goes, "Okay, here it is." And and she read the uh, the the little um, case it was in, and I had labeled it. And I said, "Yes, that's the one." So that that got mailed off, and then what they all they did was take a little solder and make sure that this thing couldn't come off. But anyway, I had that gun, and I never really shot it much, and it looked like the old Walther P99. You know, it was kind of a three-quarter copy of that. Kind of cool. Um, but then uh, it it. I did take it out and it became very it was very inaccurate and it was very unreliable so I sent it to Smith and Wesson slash Walther who were they were in cahoots at the time they told me that this thing's goofed up the frame is all cracked and and I could never see a crack in the frame but that's what they said it was and they wound up sending me a new gun which had looked more like their M2 uh, thing so it kind of didn't look nearly as cool um, and, and I've had it. I've just had it sitting around. I haven't really done much with it. As a matter of fact, I was so PO'd at the whole thing because I had to I had to pay and have a, the replacement transferred to me. So I, I opened it up. I look at it, and I asked the dealer. I said, man, can I trade this on something else? And the guy goes, no, you could sell it on consignment, though, and then put the money towards it. I'm like, I'll just take it. So I just took it. And it's just kind of sat around, and I've fired it a few times. Nothing high speed, but up in this up in this environment, and I got a, uh, a an inexpensive Bob Allen holster for it that works. I mean, it's not pretty, but it works. And uh, you know, it's it's a good little gun. And um, you know, you, you certainly can hit uh, soda cans at 10, 15 yards with it, which you know that's not great accuracy but it's the accuracy you need in a little carry around 22 pistol on something like that so the uh, definitely the walther the walther p22 is really a very cool um, gun a lot better than i thought it would be a lot better than i thought it would be 
So there you go. That's that's just the update from, you know, kind of using guns in the great outdoors. And so with that, we will go to the next portion of the podcast, which is questions and answers, my favorite part. And one of our longtime listeners has sent in a question about a 22 short long and long rifle and basically asking you know kind of what's the why do we have three of them what's the deal and has anyone made uh any 22 long firearms in quite a while so i i do know this uh the first the first self-contained cartridge the of any of that was worth anything was the 22 short which they had put in um the smith and wesson number one which came out like 1857, 1858 or something. And uh, it was a 22 short kind of single action revolver, kind of looked like a, you know, no trigger guard, you know, kind of funky looking by today's standards. Took a black powder 22 short. Um, some were reportedly carried as backup guns in the Civil War. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not, I don't know. Um, I imagine some had to have been, but... Uh, Anyway, that was it, and and the the big deal on that was there was a guy named Roland White who worked for Colt, who basically said, you know what, if we just bored these cylinders straight through, we could put these newfangled metallic cartridges in our existing guns, and apparently it got all the way up to Samuel Colt, who told told him, forget it, you know we our cap and ball guns are great, we don't need that, so Roland White went and patented his idea. And sold it to Smith and Wesson, and so for years after that, um, only Smith and Wesson could have revolver cylinders the way we know them today, bored completely through, and you put the cartridge in from the the back end. So that's how the 22 short got its start, and it it had always been. Then it kind of was adopted as a gallery round, you know, the the old shooting galleries back in when. America was even more free than it is today. You know, every every like Coney Island or every traveling circus or or carnival kind of had you know the shooting gallery they would set up and you'd shoot things with it. Now I think they use kind of air rifle type things, but 22 short was very popular for that because clearly you're only shooting at something seven eight yards away and and you don't need penetration or anything. So it was it was good for that. Now obviously to improve for small game use in the 1870s 1880s they lengthened it and it became the 22 long and it was a much better much better cartridge uh, for hunting small game and for just general use Uh, I think it was still loaded with black powder and you know the analogy you can think about this think about 30 remember the 38 short colt kinda got lengthened to the 38 long colt and then got lengthened again for the 38 special and then got lengthened another time to make the 357 magnum and then years later was lengthened yet again to to make the 357 maximum which which of course failed so the between the 38 short colt you could take a 38 short colt put it in your 357 magnum revolver and it will shoot I mean, it'll have to travel a long way in the cylinder, but it, but it will do that because it's basically the same case that's been lengthened. Same thing happened to the 22. The short was lengthened to the long, and then the long was lengthened to the long rifle. And 22 Magnum is something else entirely. So uh, once they started making long rifle guns, I don't think they made 
uh, really any 22 long guns. So I'm really thinking that probably uh, right around 1910 onward, they didn't make any 20 guns in 22 long. And the only reason they made the ammunition was to accommodate some of the older guns. And also, it was a quiet, small game pest eradication load. And in fact, I've got an old 22 rifle, and it's marked 22 short, long, and long rifles. So, and that gun was made in 61 or 62. So, you know, that was it was kind of a common thing. Um, I don't know when. I, a couple of a couple of manufacturers still list 22 long, but I don't know that anybody really makes it. And if they do, it's they make a run, and when it sells out, it's out. A 22 short lived on, and it was a great target pistol cartridge up until the International, I can't remember if it's the International Olympic Committee or whoever was, dumped 22 short in favor of long rifle. And so then you got, you know, these beautiful pistols, Walther, TT Olympia, High Standard Olympic. I think Colt probably made one. They were made in 22 short specifically for this competition because it was so controllable in rapid fire and it was very, very accurate at the uh, distances they were doing, which were, you know, 50 feet. But once they basically dumped that cartridge and said you can use 22 long rifle, uh, then obviously 22 short is is not long for this world either. Um you know, you may find some here and there, but it's not going to be like like it was when it was a uh, a first rate and pref and a preferred use uh, target cartridge. So that's what I really know about them. Not not a whole lot, but you know, it's evolved from 22 short. It's evolved to 22 long rifle, which is now the ascendant caliber now. So that's what I know. Okay, next question. Why do you think revolvers are still viable today? Uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of different reasons. Uh, they're easy to load for is one. Uh, and none of these are not really in any order of, of um, importance or precedence or anything like that. Uh, they're easy to hand load for. A revolver is very easy to hand load for. And so it's a great gun to have. And it's also got a safety margin if you if you have the right one. If you're loading 38 specials for a 357 Magnum revolver, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of safety margin there. So it's a really good one to start people hand loading with. So it's good that way. Uh, they're very reliable. They're very accurate. They're very easy to shoot. Um, there's also another reason and that is there are people who don't get semi-automatics and uh, I've known I've known several people and some they're they're usually non-gun people who maybe their spouse are into guns and they're they're not um, but you know they look at a revolver and they know how it works a, a revolver is very intuitive you put the cartridges in you know this thing spins around they get it there's a little mechanism inside there that wheels it around and they fire uh, semi-automatic is is a lot of times challenging for a person who hasn't been brought up around guns and uh, these automatics are that efficient I got to spend all this time loading this silly magazine then I put the magazine filled with cartridges into the gun I could just with a revolver I can just put cartridges into the gun and uh, while you know we we all kind of know that's 
that's kind of a very simplistic way of looking at it to a logical person that's that's reasonable hey i don't have to buy these extra magazines go buy yeah <laughs> go buy magazines for a sig p210 target you know 50 bucks a crack and you know it's uh go buy a full moon clip for a uh um, a 625 revolver and you spent like 45 cents so there you go um, you know they're they are they are very cost effective there's not a lot of extra stuff to buy they usually come you know reasonably set up for the task that people put them to uh, so that's why revolvers are still viable today one last thing is you know they're and they're usually chambered for very powerful cartridges that they they shoot very well they shoot very well um, they're very accurate with them and you know it's uh, a 44 special 44 magnum anything over 40 caliber is uh, uh, you know handled very very efficiently in a revolver so there you go okay are there any obsolete handgun cartridges which should be brought back today and I can't really think of one, except for the aforementioned uh, 45 auto rim. Um, and it's not that there are plenty of guns for it, and they still make 45 ACP revolvers um, that can take the auto rim cartridge. But I don't think you find any really loaded ammunition. You might, you know, there's always some specialty loaders that might have some. But Starline makes the brass. The only weakness with it is, uh, like, like, some other rimmed cartridges that are in revolvers sometimes the uh, extractor can skip by it and then you got to kind of tip the gun up and let this thing fall out but uh, that's I've never really encountered that as a huge a huge problem so I can't think of any that should be brought back today um, there are a lot of quote what we would call obsolete cartridges if you define an obsolete cartridge as hey there's no longer any current guns being made for it um, 32 French long is kind of an intriguing cartridge uh, there, there are several intriguing cartridges out there but um, you know I can't think of anything that there's no point in bringing back 32 short or 32 Smith and Wesson long nobody uses those for anything. Um, maybe very specifically for some sort of target old-school target shooting you can use those but as a rule beater they were so small but they were still center fire all right next question uh, classic fighting handguns which is a Facebook page has a lot of, of really very very classic old-school guns if you had to select one auto and one revolver as classic fighting handguns what would they be well I always hate this you know if you could only have one gun if you only had one choice um, but I'll play along I, I will say for automatic you know the uninspired <laughs> choice would be 1911 a1 everybody would think that that's that's a classic fighting handgun there's no two ways about that um, and you can mention everything else as a very strong runner-up in many ways. So, you know, again, 45 automatic. It's got all the controls right where they're supposed to be. Everything about it is good. So, 
it would definitely be the classic fighting handgun as a semi-auto nothing else is uh, there are other strong contenders but when it comes to how long they were used and the impact they've had on other designs and everything else that's nothing's even really close but there are some other great guns out there i mean my the other the other one i would i would say that it would be a, just a personal favorite would be the browning high power just just because i like it so that's a classic fighting handgun there also for a revolver, that's a lot harder. Um, and it depends on whether you like Colts, Smith & Wessons. It would have to be a Colt or a Smith & Wesson. Um, and since I've seen the classic fighting handgun page, and it's not really Old West handguns, so the Peacemaker and all that kind of pre-1900 stuff is out. This is, this is kind of 20th century, if you will. So I would say the... Um, the one I would choose, and it's it's a toss-up between the Smith & Wesson Model 10 and the Colt Official Police, but I'd have to say the Colt Official Police is the classic fighting handgun. I mean, that's purely subjective, purely, um, and, and part of it is because the, the Model 10 is just so common. And it's still used today, I'm sure, in a lot of places. It was so good and so common that it's it's a very, you know, pedestrian, unexciting choice. The official police was a great revolver. Really great revolver. And um, so I would choose that. I would choose those two. Uh, if it was classic fighting rifle, I don't know what I would choose from the 20th century. I it depends whether you want to go strictly kind of civilian law enforcement or if you want to include military when you want to include military <clears throat> you know you can uh, you can go a lot of different ways but i'll just say for argument i'll just choose the m1 rifle and if i had to choose a bolt gun ooh, i would have to say you know that's an interesting choice you either come down to the mauser or the moisen and while the mauser might be technically design-wise superior i think the moisen yeah the moisen was probably made in they were both made in incredible numbers i i would um that's a toss-up and i i'll just throw my hat i'll say the moisen just for fun i'll just like it um it's a little more shootable for me so i would like it so that's that's it um I don't know about numbers produced and everything. I've I've heard that the most produced small arm is the AK and its variants. The next is the Mauser and its variants. But I don't know if they anybody really knows how many Moisens were made. I don't know that anybody really knows because they were made in they were made predominantly in Soviet Union, but a few other countries did make them. So um, it'd be interesting, and uh, you know. That's uh, something I might research, but eh, that's what those would be. What my my educated guess would be on both of those. Okay, next question: What sort of weapons did security contractors use in the Iraq War? Hmm, I have to think about that. I. I can, I can tell you the ones that were under U.S. government contract providing State Department security and all that. Um, the ones I saw, what I remember, 
going back into my memory banks, they had M4 style rifles. You know, I and these guys aren't gonna, you know, you can't go up there and go, hey, what is that, a Bushmaster or is that a, you know, a, no, no, you didn't, you didn't do, you didn't do that. We had, we had more, more pressing things than than playing gun talk. So I remember M4 style rifles, um, and I remember a lot of Glock handguns. And that's just what I remember. The ones that were not U.S. affiliated or were affiliated to like with other governments and things like that could could carry a lot of different things i remember i don't think i saw any 762 nato rifles i didn't see any the only ones i saw were m14s which were carried by our guys you did see those uh in a dmr role um i remember I seem to remember a Gurkha. They had, they had these Gurkhas, former British Army guys, who the the British had contracted. They might have had some an SLR. They might have had some of those guys with SLRs, but I don't think so. I'm just kind of remembering that. Or if they did, they weren't very many of them. So we had those, and the um, the security. Some of the other guys were AKs and. One group had AKs and um, the Hungarian high-power clone. Good little guns. Good guns. I mean, both cases, they were good guns. I remember some Colombian guys who were under a Blackwater contract. They were from the country of Colombia. I believe they had Galils. I believe they had Galils. And they were used for perimeter security in, in, in a few places. Uh, handguns, I don't remember them having any, although they might have. But that's really what I remember. Um, I'm sure that there were Beretta M9 style guns, whether it's the 92FS or 92F. You know, I'm sure that a lot of people had those because that was a U.S. military gun at the time. So... Um, I'm sure people would have just copied that just just for uh, familiar, familiarity. Um, so I think that's um, that's what I recall. It's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. Uh, there were some other different government agencies in there. I remember one had uh, Sig five five ones or Sig five five zeros. You know, they had those. Those were pretty cool. I remember one DOJ guy, Department of Justice, came in. With, <laughs> I've mentioned this before. Um, it was a semi-automatic Bushmaster, kind of a Car 15-looking thing. You know, it had the it had the M4 buttstock, but it had the carry handle, and it was semi-automatic only. And they sent him in. They sent him in with one magazine, with one magazine, and it's like. And this this was a good guy too. This guy had been an FBI agent, and he was a, um, a DOJ. What was he? Um, some kind of DOJ special investigator. He was a good dude. A good dude, and he had that. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't freaking believe it. Um, so I squared him away with at least more magazines. Uh, the only cool part I can think about that, the only upside about getting the semi-automatic, and it was made by Bushmaster. That one I did notice because it, it didn't have a rock and roll switch. And I thought, well, you know, if 
The only upside to that is if he went back to his agency after his tour in Iraq was over and just said, hey, can I buy this from you? Because it was obviously legal to buy and everything. Then he could have actually bought and kept the rifle he used in Iraq. That would have been pretty cool. But I don't know if I'd risk uh, not having the uh, the full functionality that, uh, that I had. So, yeah, that's what I remember. And, uh, again, I was in uniform. I was not a security contractor. That's what I remember them having. All right, next question is, Will 3D printed firearms be really practical and possible? You know what? I think in the future they will be practical and possible, but I think they'll be regulated. I mean, we live in a society that regulates everything. There's no way, even though it's, I guess, you could make a case that, hey, you know, you could take a block of aluminum and a CNC machine and make your own lower for an AR you could do that um, so why is 3d printing different well I would say the only reason is the cost is a lot lower I mean a 3d printer can be had less than 500 bucks with all the the, the goop that becomes whatever it is you make so um, I'd have to say that I, I think they will regulate if you make a if you make a firearms frame as we currently understand it whether it's out of metal whether it's out of polymer whether it's 3d printed or whether it's you know carved out of wood I don't know um, if you make that you are going to be <clears throat> required to do something either register it or do something you know or you'll be prohibited from making it you know like like a class 3 weapon you you would just be prohibited from doing that I just see that as being the way that that's gonna go I think 3d printing actually has a better application in making accessories that are low cost uh, right now I I'm not too impressed with it I brought a um, a lever you know a throw lever for a scope that was probably 3d printed and it was a piece of crap you know it was a piece of junk They've got a long way to go, in my opinion, before they turn out something real quality. And that's why you don't see the major manufacturers jumping on the bandwagon. SIG isn't going to say, hey, you know, here's for $300, you can buy this 3D printing kit for one of our P320 frames. They're not doing that. And they're not doing it for a reason. It's not because they don't want to make money. It's because I think they see it as a legally challenging environment and I think they see that the fact they really don't want their name put on some you know super cheapo plastic thing that's that a guy prints in his basement that's what I think okay and here is our last question what is the biggest piece of FUD lore you have run across recently and um that's that's a hard one fud lore being you know things that are just repeated and they gain they gain truth and credence because they've just been repeated so often i have to say that the only one that i've seen is you know that old one of well you can't use spitzer bullets in a lever action because if you do they'll all detonate and they'll detonate you know the whole tube will explode and all that um Modern primers are way too hard to allow that to happen. 
So we don't use them just by simple by simple habit that we don't use them. The people who load 3030 don't load Spitzer bullets in it unless it's the Leverushin, lev yeah Leverushin type of um, ammo that uh, has the the little spongy tip on the end. You know the tip of the bullet's actually a piece of uh, spongy plastic. So we, we just don't use it because we just don't use it. And that is FUD lore. And, uh, but every once in a while, somebody will, somebody will say, you know, 3030 is pretty good, but you can't use pointed bullets. And point of fact, you, you actually could, but nobody does. So that's where FUD lore has, uh, has just shaped how we handle certain things. And uh, you know, I have to look up. I always, you always hear FUD lore here and there. So we'll, we'll keep track of it. If I hear any other ones... Or remember any other ones I'll be sure to bring them up but for now this is the conclusion of the 100th episode of old school guns and if you have any questions or comments you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com kbmakel at aol.com or put them on podbean which, which is our primary carrier but until next time this is old school guns out.